Good morning, everyone. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, and welcome to the weekly energy boost. I am speechless in Hollywood again <laughs> because today we have with us the spiritual director of the Kabbalah Center, my personal teacher and mentor, Karen Berg. Thank you so much. Welcome, Karen. It's I, I mean, just from the, the comments we see here, everybody is very excited to be able to share this morning with Karen. It's very nice. And very nice to be here. This is my second time here at the radio station with you. And it's always lovely to address people that, that heretofore I've never met on the air and being able, hopefully, to give them a little piece of information perhaps they didn't have before. Well, we're, we're excited to have Karen not only to start the week, but to... We're in a very important time spiritually, and it's great to be able to have Karen's insight and, and perspective on how we can do the most with what the cosmos is giving us. And this well, week, Karen, you were saying that it's about a lot about boundaries. Yeah, it's certainly a lot about boundaries. And I think that, you know, even the cosmic is there helping us because it's really uh, a difficult cosmic time, you know. And basically what it's saying to us is go look inside, go look inside. Don't be outside, don't be doing things that are outside of yourself. You need to find yourself in yourself. And basically what, uh, what this period in time represents is a time perhaps where we could sit down and make a list of the, all the things that we could have and should have said and done and created a space for different people. And on the other side, what are we going to do to make that happen? And it's a very, very important time to find the lines between those things that we give of ourselves and those things which we want to improve of ourselves. But uh, Alicia, you were talking about boundaries, okay? And that's a whole different conversation because I believe that people as children do need absolute boundaries. For instance, if we understand that there's the Van Allen belts, <clears throat> seven belts in the universe that open and close, and the Rav used to say, you have to know when you can pray to a certain level because there are gates that are open and closed, and you, you, it's sort of like dialing into this radio show at midnight and trying to find us. It it's doesn't exist at that hour. So the, the universe is making sure that we're not only aware of those openings, but also utilizing them. Whether we're aware that it's, that's the time for this or not, the situations are going to come at us yes. in a way to force us to deal with those things. Yes, but to understand that there are certain like to everything, there's a time and a place. Also here, there's a time and a place to pray for everything. There's a time and a place for action and a time of place for no action. And so this time, would you say, is for? This time, cosmically, is a time of reflection. It's a time of construction, inward construction. By the way, business as well, it's, an, it's a time for putting things in its place and not to be um, directly going outside. Only, I would say, Rosh Hashanah would be the time or the week prior that we can then take our ideas outside of ourselves. So like not until not till the beginning, end of August, beginning of September. End of August, beginning of September, yes. And the 
this time period in general, normally we have a, let's say, an outlook or a forecast, a, uh, an idea of what the year ahead of us is going to offer, the opportunity. Does, are there any insights in the, in the year to come? We're about to begin that process called Rosh Hashanah and the renewal of the energy for all humanity now. What is next year? What does the coming year look like for us? Well, I kind, I think that right now the universe is offering us what we give back to it. And therefore, when we find, you know, oftentimes people, they ask, they have a conglomerate list of all the things <laughs> that they haven't received. But the other side is oftentimes blank. Okay, what, am I go- what are you going to give for it? For instance, somebody that wants love, that wants compassion, wants kindness, has to be capable of giving that warmth, that love, that compassion. Because if one can never receive something that they're not capable of giving, so we know that, you know. But for instance, I want to be a multimillionaire. Yeah, but I don't give charity. Well, how do you expect to be a multimillionaire? You have to make room for the blessing. You have to put a space that you can receive those things. And therefore, I think that next year will be a tumultuous year. I have no question about that. But like we've said before, I believe the world is in the place that they called Oiva Ashray, meaning that there is a space in the world where even though we look at things and they seem upside down, but inside your space and where you are, there seems to be peace and understanding of the movie that's being played out. And then there's the other part of the world where you're sort of running in the treadmill, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And people will have to stop. And as we grow on our spiritual journey and we become more and more awakened, next year will be a year that it will be blatant in front of us why this is happening, to whom this is happening. And it'll be uh, our, our place to look at it and to say, I'll change that. Because, you know, once you have a situation in your life and you change the place that you're at, that situation leaves. Okay? So we're going to have many opportunities to fix those things in our life and have them leave us. Whereas now the, the communication is much more subtle. Mm-hmm. Next year it will be... More blatant, definitely. And the, the, one of the main ways I, I've learned that we get those messages on what do we need to work on or what is the universe pushing towards us is actually through our bodies. That when something is off on a spiritual or emotional level, our bodies often give us signs and signals. Yes, sure. I mean... Uh, you know, oftentimes we say that people sometimes get ill because they need attention. They want, they want people to look at them, for instance. Or <clears throat> we get a backache. And, I mean, that Louise Hayes did a beautiful book on that, saying that everything that correlates to the body also correlates to a, an emotional or spiritual aspect of our lives. Um, and many, many, many different phases of that, whether it's... Uh, on a physica- physical level. I mean, those of you that are interested in that study, they should look at something like the books of Luce's. Hey, Where else can we 
what else can we look to to understand what our work is, what we need to change, how we can grow? Well, certainly in, in our spiritual work. I mean, we have tools that help us refine who we are on a spiritual level. And, um, I mean, we're talking today something interesting is that people often think that their spiritual work as they're doing meditation and they're, they're uh, trying to, to read different books on how to reach other levels, but they forget about their own bodies. They forget that the body is the temple of the creator which exists inside of them, and they don't take care of that. No, that's not spiritual. Well, it, it is absolutely, because it is a temple. Your body is a temple which houses your soul. And therefore, if you don't take care of your temple, then how would you expect to take care of your soul? That's a message I think all of us need to hear over and over and over again. Um, we have a, a, a ton of questions. Please. That are coming, uh, that people sent in advance and that are coming now from, uh, from Facebook. So I want to remind everybody, if you have questions, please feel free to post in the comments. We'll get to as many as we can. Um, one great, one, there were all great questions, but one question we got uh, earlier was um, how, well, it's a personal question to, for Karen, how has your personal journey shifted? Being a, a leader, running an organization, and also Karen's own, own personal journey, how has that changed over the last I don't know. I, I guess people are looking for perspective on how to balance it all and still uh, be joyful and inspired and constantly creating new opportunities to connect with people. Well, first of all, obviously, my journey changed when the Rav had his stroke. Uh, I was suddenly left alone to do his job and my job. And uh, I remember... I've said before, I remember that night in the hospital, I just turned to the creator and said, what do you want me to do now, you know? And, you know, I, I gained so much more strength and so much more confidence because I then went around the world and opening different centers, Argentina, Brazil, and other places in the world, which heretofore we never did. And I kind of felt that People that are really trying to do positivity somehow get the strength to do it. And when you realize that this is something that you want to persevere in, then there are people around you. It's sort of like the angels fall down to earth and they guide you. And that's what's happened to me for many, many years. And then I found this other thing called... Uh, you know, Breath of Life, which I founded in the center. It's a, it's a way of connecting body and soul. And I, do, and I realized that in, in order to have a true spiritual well-being, one must have the combination of not only the intellect of the learning, but the feeling in the heart, okay? And that's the hardest 12 inches actually to pass, those from the mind to the, from the, mind to the body, from the mind to the body. And so the past couple of years, I've been doing more and more uh, work in the area of doing the combination of the two. And I believe that if we find the balance, I mean, nobody is perfect, okay? 
And yes, there are times that I think that uh, I'd rather do uh, more things, you know. But I've traveled to India, I've been all over the world, and I've met so many interesting and powerful people, and I, I myself feel that these past years have been blessed for me because I have been allowed the opportunity, the doors have opened to me because I decided that I was going to open those doors. So they opened to me the possibility of meeting some fabulous, wonderful people, spiritual people, and guides, and to allow their parts of their work to influence people, our, our own people, and allow them the combination. Well, in, in all the travels, I mean, Karen, this year you were in, uh, just now in Whistler for Wanderlust. Ah, uh, yes, I did the Whistler Fest. I actually had, uh, I spoke three times there. And it's beautiful because you walk into a room and somebody says, hi, Karen, I'm following you on Facebook. Or, hi, Karen, I hear you every week. And it's, I mean, sometimes you feel, you know, like, I should know this lady's name. <laughs> you know, but it was lovely. It was really a lovely experience. And then Paris with Marianne Williamson and Anita Morjani. Uh, that was that was really special. How really many really. people were were there for that lecture? I don't know, seven hundred, eight hundred, something Amazing. like that. Um, but they're they're lovely women, and you know each one of them has a very special story. In Whistler, um, you know that's the big yoga festival, uh, and it's it was so nice to see young, so many young people. I mean, there must, I don't know how many people were up there, thousands of people were up there, looking to find something inside themselves. Because, you know, physical practice, again, there are those that have physical practice without the intellectual practice. You have the intellectual practice. So at least there we could find these beautiful young people seeking open their spiritual Open opening. to spiritual. Yes. When, when you meet someone, in an elevator, on an airplane, in a store, and they say, what's Kabbalah? What's the, how, how, do you, how do you answer that question? Well, I think Kabbalah for me means how do I live life in a way that it fulfills me? How can I live every day with I know what I did today and I know what I can expect? The word Kabbalah itself means to receive, okay? But the point is, uh, we go about our lives without even thinking about the fact of, of, you know, of this type of fulfillment. It's a consciousness that allows us to live every day and say, I've lived today. You know, it's said that Avram came with his days. It means that every day was able to testify as to what he had done with his time on earth. And therefore, for me, Kabbalah is a, a study of philosophy that allows me to feel fulfillment in all the things that I do. It's beautiful. I, I think that also uh, one of the questions that we got not only before but uh, also here in the in the comments section is about doing that spiritual work. Sometimes I think people get overwhelmed. We teach in the classes about you know the more light. The, sh the brighter the light shines in our lives, the more clearly we see what we need to work on, what we can transform, how we can grow. How do we not be bogged down by, I have to change this, I have to work on this, 
I'm, I need to transform this part of myself or I'm getting in my own way this way. I, th I see a lot of people have the tendency to pe become depressed when they see, see what they need to work on. Or we had another great question about being paralyzed by fear, by uh, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Fe what can we do to combat that overwhelm, that heaviness that can often come with recognizing I have, I have work to do. I need to grow here. Well, the point is, you know, the Creator never gives us more than we can take. That's number one. And number two, we learned that the light comes not from the light, but it comes from the darkness, right? So basically, what we're supposed to do is to see the obstacles in front of us. And it's true that a person that has more energy to give or more revealment, they will have more problems because it's sort of like the wave. As the force of the wave comes in, so it goes back. And if people are fearful of their journey, without the journey they have nothing to fear because I don't think their life could amount to anything if they live in a void. I mean, you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, one million people died last night and I'm alive. Isn't that a blessing? So basically to say that someone uh, is fearful of, of being because they have so much work to do, I think the opposite is true. You have to say, thank you, God. I've got so much in front of me, and I'm a mountain climber. You know, I really want to see what I can be, the all of me. And that all of me takes work, and it takes pressure. The same person might go to a gym and spend an hour working out and sweating, or that's okay. No pain, no gain. But <laughs> somehow in their spiritual work, they expect it to be, you know, free, without boundaries. And it doesn't happen that way. It's work. But it's a work that, at the end of the day, brings us to a place that we see we're a better human being afterwards. It's it's funny. While while we're talking, someone is asking about um, they have a memory of a, a mistake. They're calling it a mistake they made, and they carry a lot of guilt and sadness and regret about it. So they're asking, how can one truly let go of guilt, and is it possible to get a second chance to correct that mistake? That's a good question. First off, if the person that you feel guilty about is alive and within your movie, it's possible that you can correct that, okay? Oftentimes, you know, we're, we're ashamed of a parent, and then we feel guilt that we're ashamed of that parent, okay? So that's a different kind of a guilt. And it comes in many, many, many different styles, if you will. Um, basically, you can correct it if the person is alive and if you choose to. But I think more importantly is to find out from where that came, where, did it, where is that guilt, find it inside, and just make sure that when that shows up a second time in our life, that we redo that movie so that we don't get that guilt. It might not necessarily look exactly the same as it did the first time Absolutely also. not. Absolutely. That's, uh, I know something I try to pay attention to also. It's not always going to come in the same costume and, scen and scenery. Right. One thing that I've heard 
uh, I've heard Karen speak about many times is the inner child. How can we bring our work with our own inner child into this time period? I think inner child work is super important because the tantrums we throw today with our husbands, with our, with our spouses, or the things that bother us, we have to ask ourselves, where, who, who's, who's hurt, whose anger is that? Is it me, Karen Berg, the adult, or is it the child that maybe felt abandoned when, when she was young, or that wasn't good enough, or didn't get approval enough, or simply wasn't heard enough? And these things translate into our life today. And most of the things, most of the arguments that we have with people is simply that child inside of us saying, you didn't give me, you didn't, you know, he doesn't like me, he doesn't want me as part of his life. It's, it's our inner child, 90% of the time, that causes the arguments that we have with others. Think about it. A man and a woman argue, right? So basically it's he doesn't appreciate me or he doesn't love me enough. Or, And the reason for that is because perhaps when they were children, their parents didn't appreciate them. They felt unappreciated. They felt unloved, okay? And therefore, the response that could be a minor response becomes major because it's not their hurt. It's not the hurt of today, but the hurt of that little child that felt that when they were five and six and seven. It's super important work, especially now. How do we heal that? You have to go back there. There are, there are people that actually do go back there and see yourself at two and at four and at six, and if you can see yourself. Now, there are people that are so blocked that they have no memory of early childhood. Now, of course, obviously, a lot of people don't know when they're two years old, but early childhood being eight, nine, ten, and what did it feel like? Was there something there that that didn't you didn't feel whole? And go into that feeling, and see if you can find a way to tell that inner child, "You got me here. I'm thankful to you. I'm grateful for all of that you've given me." but I'll take care of you now. I'll be there for you. And it's a whole meditation and a dance for you to see that child and appreciate that child. It's one foot, but anybody that's interested in inner child work can certainly find people to help them with that. There's another beautiful, there's two questions, or a, a theme that's coming up in the questions here that we have. One is around reincarnation, and one is around intuition. Where should we go first? <laughs> I don't care. I, I guess the first question is, how do we know if our loved ones who've yes. left the physical reality, how do we know if they've reincarnated? We don't. We don't. No, no question, we don't. We do know that it, they... They say that it takes about a year for the corporal body to leave uh, the soul, that the soul finally gets to its resting place in about a year's time. Um, but whether that soul stays 
and waits for an environment that it can come back in a year or two or five, we have no way to know that. But sometimes it happens that a window remains open. And there are children that have come back and have known their prior incarnations. There's a whole study by Ian Stevenson, University of Virginia, of 2,500 such cases of children that have actually come back and knew their prior life, knew where they were, knew where they lived, a whole thing. But is it normal? Absolutely not. And the reason that we visit them, by the way, because, okay, if they didn't incarnate, if they're incarnated, what, what why, are you visiting? why are you visiting there? <laughs> and the reason, so it says, is that there is a small bone in the back of the head. It's called the loose. And that particular bone carries the small spark of the life of that soul. And that remains there. And so when we go back to visit a loved one that passed away, basically we are showing a respect for that particular part of the soul that's still a part of that, that earthly body that existed. That's why we go back. And if a person has moved on, if a soul has incarnated again, are communicating with the version of that soul that we knew, right? Many people stay in contact, or we may have a, a righteous soul that we feel connected to that we ask for help from. If they have already incarnated again, especially if they're a thousand years, two thousand years later, what are, who are we communicating with? Well, we know that, uh, for instance, Rabbi uh, Shimon right, was was a spark of Moses, right, and the Adi was a spark of Moses, and down the line. So when we're talking about a soul or or spark of soul, it can be in multi forms. It doesn't happen just once. Uh, some people believe that we're all a spark of Moses, for instance, and. So when we feel a, a connection by, for, the, for, the, for the great souls that leave, Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, Krishna, I don't know, those souls do not need to leave their body to incarnate. They concede, okay? And when we try to connect, let's say we connect to a holy soul, we're connecting to a place that hopefully will imbue inside of us and allow us their spark so that we can do our spiritual work. So beautiful. And, and, and the funny thing is now I'm thinking it's even connected to the intuition piece. I think that a lot of, in the people that I've met over the years, a lot of us perceive that Intuition is, you know, Jiminy Cricket that comes and tells you, hey, lady, look over there, or uh, don't go that way, or uh, something bad is going to happen in uh, New Jersey in 20 minutes. What is intuition really, and how can we develop it better? It's a good question, because I'm not uh, a scientist in that level of understanding intuition. But I think that there are those of us that have what, what you call intuition is like, I knew that was going to happen kind of a thing. And I think that, you know, that's sort of most like a gift, almost like clairvoyance. There are people that are clairvoyant. 
And how do you develop that? I think each one of us has a piece of it. Uh, but oftentimes our mind is so busy that we don't allow ourselves that peace. And I believe that we can if we learn to quiet our mind, whether it's by a breathing technique or whatever it might be, we would gain more and more insight. Because, you know, there are voices actually talking to us all the time. We're not schizophrenic, but there are voices that do talk to us. We just simply don't hear them because we're blocked by our busy minds. I think the Tsar mentions over and over again the idea of a heavenly voice or a uh, it's like a broad, like a radio show from the upper worlds that uh -huh. is speaking in a way. Yes, but the problem is that we, we just don't know how to get to the channel. <laughs> yeah. There, I think that there's also a, people are, are with that expectation that it is going to be like clairvoyance. They're not in tune. Sometimes I, I know that different people have a physical sensation when their spiritual self is trying to get their attention or they may, it may, it may be just a realization and it's not, uh, it doesn't seem dramatic. You just, you, you understand that you should or you shouldn't or this is the right person or it's the wrong person and, and that, uh, <laughs> I hear it, again, it's a great similar idea but someone is asking, how can we know if what we're hearing is our intuition or our mind, which I think many people who study Kabbalah know the opponent, right? How do we mm -hmm. know that those ideas or those suggestions is coming from a positive, a positive place. place? Well, first of all, that it does no harm. That's number one. And number two, as if you have, like someone says, this guy isn't good for you. This person isn't good for you. It's just not going to work, right? So you go back and you look at your life and you see the kinds of people that you've dated. It normally, we, we work in a pattern. We find ourselves with the same women or the same men, though they have different color hair and they may come from a different place, but their character is like that. So if we see that this person is fitting perfectly into that movie, then perhaps we ought to revisit it because the only way to get rid of an old movie is by allowing it to leave. So that's what... What does it mean to allow the movie to leave? Let's assume that you always find yourself in an abusive relationship. So you leave one relationship and you find somebody else and there's an abuse in that relationship. And then you find somebody that you really think you care about, right? But he d displays the same characteristics as the other two before, you know, Give him a big kiss and tell him, you know, <laughs> see you next lifetime. Exactly. Have a good time. Because people work in patterns, right. friendship patterns, that type of thing. There's, uh, there's another great question, and I, I feel it needs a little bit of preface for those people who are listening that don't study Kabbalah already. Um, we talk about the light force of the Creator and that each human being is a vessel to receive that light. Karen was saying Kabbalah means to receive. Vessel is also a kind of a code word for desire, right? The person is going to be able to receive according to their desire. Yet, there's a lot of people out there who have very little desire, are not uh, motivated, not inspired, really happy with status quo. And we learn in Kabbalah, it's great to 
grow our desire. How can we grow our desire? It's a very abstract concept, I think, for many people. How do it we is, grow our it, vessel? It is indeed. But if someone would understand that as much as we seek to grow is our capacity to grow, meaning I go to Creator and say, you know, Creator, I really would like to have a nice house and a good car. I really would like to have money in the bank that I don't have to worry about much, but I'm not prepared to do anything for it. In other words, I go to work, I come back, I, I'm perfectly happy the way I am. So upstairs, the energy that you put into the cosmic is, okay, you are who you are, you'll stay where you are, and then you won't get any help because you don't have anything to push back with. Now, if you say to yourself, you know, I really want to get to the next stage in life, I have to have internally the understanding that as much as I choose to push myself is the capacity of the light to push back. If I want to live on a farm and have my kids and have them grow up on the farm and I pass away and I've lived my life just that way, then there's nothing I can do. The life itself will give what you give back to it. And to understand that means if I push forward, then I can grow. But you can't expect of the light or of the energy of the creator something which you don't choose to give in everything. Uh, we learn that, yes, I want in my life. Okay, what are you doing above yourself to get that way? Spiritually, what are you doing? Are you, are you giving charity? Are you doing service? Are you going outside, outside of yourself? Because if you're not, the creator can't go outside. Uh, sorry, the, the light cannot go outside because it's a, it's a compatible. We set the tempo. We set the tempo, yes. And when, when again, these questions are great. It's like, talk, I, I feel like we're having a three-way conversation. <laughs> so let's say you do have the desire for the bigger house, the cushioned bank account, everything in the material. How do we, I guess Karen in a way just answered the question, but how, how can we make sure that that's not for selfish means? How can we transform? I do want these things. I want to accomplish. I want to achieve. How can I refine my desire so that it isn't only about me? Do, just say, do it. <laughs> you just do it. You know, we say there's no yin and yang in Kabbalah. There's no negative and positive. The Kabbalah says, have everything. You can have as much as your desire wants, provided that you have a space there for others, okay? It means I make a million dollars, I'm prepared to give 10%. I, I, I have this great brick house, I'm prepared to open it up and make a party for charity. I have all these things that I have, I'm also prepared to share of that with others. And the moment that you share of that with others, you make an opportunity for bigger. So anything can be used for the sake of sharing. Anything can be used for and the sake. I, my sense is that it, it, people can make it a slogan. You know, I want the big house, and yeah, I'm going to have friends over. But it really means... I, no, no. No, no. I don't want you to have friends over. <laughs> I want you to have a philanthropic party for charity. A bunch of kids come over from South Central and have a dinner at your home. 
And that's what it's used for. Not always, but a part of that is to sh- give back to what you've received. You know, I have, I have a friend, and she's Mormon. She was born Mormon. And she said the first time that she went to work, she made $100, and her parents said, $10, please, for the church. You know, from the time she was 12. So it's, it's important. And the funny thing is people think that charity is important for the charity. Charity is important for the person, not for the charity. Service is important for the person because in that service creates the service of the cosmos. I, I th- that's, that's a message I don't think we can hear enough. Even for those of us who are in the habit of giving, giving and, and kindness, doing. we forget. We think we're doing good. Mm-hmm. And we forget Which you that are, it's, but it's a, it's it's both. I, I I often get the question of, um, you know, how do I know which opportunity is for me? You know, uh, my family's asking for help. My friends are asking for help. I've committed to whatever cause, and my response is always, which one takes you more outside of your grain comfort zone? Yeah. Right. And and people look like, well, well, what does it have to do with me? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, I think, what w- the reason that people don't experience the fulfillment that they could from their kindness and generosity is because they think it's for the other person. Right. Not only that, but a lot of people say, well, I take care of my mom and I take care of my sister. Or, I mean, I'm a good mom. Aren't I doing my work? The answer is not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's hard to, when we put ourselves, we feel. And again, I think it's for people like that to feel that they're doing so much. And the opposite, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm here. I belong to this committee and this and this and this. And I have babysitters at home with my kids and I'm not there. This is also a, an, a, an unbalanced relationship. Because oftentimes people are busy with other people not to do the responsible things that they have to do. It's also an imbalance. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so much. Uh, there's a, actually, there's a, a very interesting question, and I feel like it's one that we get all the time. But there's a lot of people out there that are on a spiritual path, but their significant other isn't. What advice can we give those people? And I don't want to sound, make it sound like those people, <laughs> but it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging position to be Absolutely. when you don't have that environment to to flourish or they don't feel that they have that environment. I agree. It's very difficult to live with somebody that you don't share spiritual values with or philosophy with. But I think that if you look down deep into a relationship like that, you'll find there's lots of other things that they don't share as well. Not only spiritual beliefs, but different kinds of likes and dislikes. But the best way and the, probably the only way that you can make stability out of it is simply by walking the talk. If you are truly a spiritual person and you're trying to find your roots and your awakening, allow love, allow support, allow kindness for the other person because he's a child or she's a child. She's simply trying to figure out what life is all about, right? If you treat them that way, and I'm not saying that they're a child because they're not spiritually awakened, but you are, you're supposedly the wiser, act wiser when they come part of your life. And don't push spirituality down their throat. It's the worst thing you can do. 
Be who you want to be. Walk the talk. And oftentimes when that happens, you know, people look at you and say, wow, you're, you change, you're so different. What is it that, that made you that way? And you can help them change. I'm just looking at all the <laughs> the comments here. It's really beautiful uh, thoughts and connections. The the other theme, and I think it's connected to the idea of when the, a significant other isn't on the same path, it's how we, when we realize we need to change, when we realize we need to grow, and we don't always know how. Right there, I think. Uh, I consider myself lucky that I have an environment around me that I have people that can say to me, listen, that wasn't the nicest thing, or maybe you could have done this differently. Not everyone has that. What what can a person who's on their own, you know, showing up to an office that isn't spiritual, living in a family that isn't spiritual, how can they shine their light? How can they be be a beacon for people who aren't looking for it? Well, there are many peoples that are living in, in I mean, in places where there are no centers and there are no real spirituality there. But, you know, there are books to be read, there are lectures to be heard, and there's nature. And, you know, the Creator exists in everything. So for someone that's really looking to find a spiritual path, first of all, they should contact or be a part of something <clears throat> which may not be in their neighborhood that can give them certain knowledge. Certainly the books that they read, certainly the internet and all of that. Today it's not the same as it used to be. Today I can learn from any place in the world, you know, and I think that they can do that. They can take their lessons online. And then they have to bring it into their communities. But not by saying, hey, guys, look at this. This is what I've learned. This is what I think we should do. The opposite. You know, I read a be beautiful passage today. It said, or talk to them about things that, that they can understand. And maybe by so doing, they will ask the questions that can prompt you to do more and more. So there is no reason why anybody, any place today in the world, can't learn every week something new in their spiritual journey. Yeah, maybe for, it's really about changing our definition of spirituality. That spirituality isn't necessarily the yoga retreat or the, you know, uh, communing with others. That's a great part of it. But, you know, at the supermarket, you can have a spiritual moment with the cashier. Absolutely. Or, or someone that's the, in line. But that's the point. The truth, <laughs> tr I think, it's my own opinion, but I believe that the guy that's meditating for four hours, you know, sitting with his guru, this isn't my idea of spirituality. It's being in the world, living in the world, interacting with every person in the world and finding your own inner peace, your own way of treating people with kindness and respect and human dignity. This is spirituality looking at people and knowing that, of course, we all have faults, but being able to see the kind side of people, not the negative. I think that one of the other great questions, it's a very difficult one for me to translate into practical terms, but you know, the state of the world 
things going on outside you turn on the news, it doesn't look great. Not only from the natural disasters, but the conflict, the um, terrible things going on, human-inflicted terrible things going on. How can we be a force for good when we're not in Syria or we're not in uh, Texas or we're not in the White House? What can we do to make a difference in the world? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the polarity between darkness and light. The reason that there is so much disasters going on in the world is because we're getting closer and closer to the, to the beginning of a new era, a new era of spirituality. And basically, what we do, each one of us does, is a world unto ourselves. Because if I treat you with respect and kindness, if I share something with you, I share with you, I share with your children, I share with your husband, I share with your friends, and I'm an entire circle of a world unto myself. And that world reverberates if we have thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people with putting that energy into the cosmos, and then we can influence Syria. So it doesn't matter where one is, the influence is there irrespective of where they sit in the world by putting positive thought and goodness into the universe. So, I, I, again, I hear from people all the time, you turn on the TV and you feel like, what can my little match do? But that's really how we got here, is that mm -hmm. people don't realize how much influence one candle can have on the entire world. I wish there was a, a way we could prove it to people sometimes. You know, you just need to see one little. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, uh, I think, on social media, people are sharing the goodness that's out there, which can be inspiring but maybe there's, we have only a couple minutes left, maybe there's a, a mantra or a, a meditation that you can share that can help us continue to push our way through the darkness and illuminate. Well, I think the message is not, you know, look at the darkness, but if everybody, for instance, on Facebook could share one kind message with someone else and say, what a beautiful day this is, or... You know, I'm breathing and I'm, 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 I'm healthy. What a beautiful thing that is. Anything, some thought that you'd never had before to say, wow, it's so good to be alive and people are kind. Or smile to somebody in the elevator that you forgot about. Such little things, but they create. Remember, thought creates vibration. And that vibration can make our universe better. I wonder if maybe as a, a last, you know, last act in the show, <laughs> we can also ask humbly, what inspires you, Karen? How do you keep going? What, <laughs> what, what, what is it that makes it, I mean, it seems so effortless, you know, looking, I can say from an observer point of view, how do you keep going? I have a genuine love for people. I was born with that, and I'm happy about that. And when I travel around the world and I meet different people and I hear stories about how things in their lives have changed for the better because of the existence of the centers, I say to myself, wow, you know, thank you 
for allowing me to be a messenger to be able to do all these things. And there's, I don't think there's a greater feeling in the world than having a stranger come up to you and saying, you know, I was in a big mess, and thanks to the teachings, I'm out of it. That's, that's something th that you can't replace, and that's what keeps me going 100%. That's beautiful. I know that we have uh, lots of uh, love and hearts and hugs and appreciation on Facebook. One of the ways that you can express your gratitude is by sharing this, whether it's through Facebook. We also have our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher. <laughs> I always get that one wrong. Um, and, and by passing the message on, Karen will be speaking on Wednesday at the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles at a seminar called Looking Back. There'll be a lecture, meditation, questions and answers. If you can't join us physically in LA, you can find that on Kabbalah.com, Wednesday night, I think it's 8 p.m. in the center in Los Angeles. There's no, I mean, there's lots of words here on Facebook, but there are no words to express on behalf of the universe, the world, humanity, the love and the appreciation we have for you being here today, Karen. and. Anytime you can come back, I think it'll be a, a gift for all of us. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. And let's just hope we treat each other kindly. Amen. Treat ourselves kindly. Yes. Thank you to Thank everyone you. here in the studio. And we'll see you next Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific, for the Weekly Energy Boost. Have a great week. Thank you.